turn to 2 Corinthians. I'm in a book I call Bruised While Blessing, and it's the most personal biographical insight to the Apostle Paul of any of the New Testament. And uh, he tells us more of the inward struggle, fears he had as a, an apostle servant of God. And today, we want to look at verses 12 through 17, and we'll look at four things about this. Notice, now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them, and I went on to Macedonia. Here's the picture. He's in Ephesus. Uh, he wants to see Titus. The reason he wants to see Titus, he sent Titus to settle the church dispute at Corinth. Probably sent him with a letter known as the painful letter to put down the coup that was going on, a rebellious brother, uh, a party spirit. And he has already said, I forgive if the man's repented as I hear. I already forgive that. But now he's picking up. But I want to report back from Titus. I want to know what the state of the church is. And so he's in Ephesus, and he's wanting to meet uh, uh, him. And so he's going north, which is right on the Aegean, and he goes to the city of Troas. And while he's there, God is opening all kinds of opportunity and, and uh, doors open for the gospel. So he's up there ministering, but he's still troubled in spirit because he's not found Titus. He wanted to see him. So he says, I'm going to move from Troas, where I'm having, obviously, an abounding ministry. I'm going to go across the Aegean and go up to Macedonia. Macedonia is north of Corinth. Corinth is in Achaia. To the north of it is uh, Macedonia, where we got Thessalonica, Berea, uh, Philippi. That's the Macedonian region. And he said, I'm a troubled man. I want to see Titus. I want to know the affairs of the church. I, I'm hoping that the rift has been healed, that things have changed. Now, out of that pit of, uh, oh, disappointment, discouragement perhaps, he picks up for verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal or sufficient or even adequate, competent? All the, who, Who's equal? Who's sufficient for such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the Word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. 
Here Paul begins and excurses, many scholars believe, at 2.14, that runs all the way through chapter 7, at least through chapter 6, and he begins to speak of the glory of what a new covenant minister can glory in. And he says four things that we want to emphasize today. Number one, I've been captured by a triumphant Christ. Number one, I am a captured person. I've become his slave. I've become his servant because I've been captured. Two, the rest of my life is devoted to spreading the knowledge of him. I exist to spread the knowledge of Christ. Three, I'm having a double effect on people. Some think my message is sweet. Others think that it stinks. They have no use for it. And finally, I struggle with feeling inadequate and incompetent and unable to do the task like it ought to be done. Nevertheless, I'm being employed by him. Now, it's very technical, this word here, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal, triumphal procession. Let me give you the background of what a triumphal procession was like. William Barclay is the one that dug up historically what it was like. Let me give you what happened. When a Roman general went to another country, and he was victorious there, and came back and had met these conditions, if while he was there, he was actually commanding the battle, he was in charge, he was no armchair general, he was in the battle. Two, if at least 5,000 men were killed in that battle, this is a single battle. If 5,000 men were killed, if the territory of Rome was expanded, we not only killed the opponents, we took their land. Then they would come back, and the Roman Senate would say, we're going to give you a triumphal entry into Rome. And he would come into the city of Rome, most likely down the Appian Way, headed for the capital. And uh, they would do it this way. The first people in the lineup coming down the streets, coming towards the capital, was the Roman Senate. They would lead the procession. Then the trumpeters would be in this procession, blowing trumpets. The streets are full. The attention of the populace has been gotten through these trumpeters. So they would come out. Then they would have different ones carry the trophies from these countries. They would bring pictures. They would bring up. When Titus conquered Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and then once again, 82 A.D., he went back and put them down. They brought the Jewish candelabra. They brought the golden shoebread table. Uh, they brought, this is what the spoils of war are. Besides the number of men we killed, this is what we captured. We put our foot on their neck. We're total conquerors. They would have pictures, any of the paintings that were taken. And 
this procession, there would be a white bull. And the white bull was to, at the end of the procession, be taken to a pagan altar to one of the gods, and they would slay the bull as a sacrifice of thanksgiving for the victory. Then, after that bull, were the captive princes, the captive generals, the captive soldiers of the country they defeated. They would be in shackles. They would be spit upon. They would be mocked, and they'd be drugged through the streets. They would come along, and then they would be thrown into prison at the end of the procession and to be decided when they would be executed. And many of them would be fed to the lions in the Colosseum. Then the musicians came, the priests swinging their incense in the censers. And there would be fragrances, they say, the citizens all along the way, everybody's burning incense to the gods, burning incense. I mean, this is a national holiday. So you have these guys bearing these incense burners and carrying the incense, fragrance, fragrance everywhere. The air is full of the aroma of these men celebrating their general's victory. After that, then the family of the general would come, his wife, his children, right on down. All the family would follow. After that, the army that he led that defeated this power, they would march. It would go on for miles, lining this up. So it was not an everyday occasion. Paul said, this is Christ to me. He is the conquering general of all history, and he's marching through time. And there are those that will be in the procession that will perish. There's others of us that are bearing incense to his praise and his glory and sending up an aroma about him. And he says, I am a captured man. I was self-willed. I was on my way to kill Christians in Acts 9. I was going to Damascus to kill out this heretical movement. And there I met the triumphant general of all history. And he said, Paul, who do you think you're working against? And I fell on my face as the noon sun was outshined by Christ. I fell down, and there I became a follower, a slave, a captive of the mighty triumphant Christ. You Corinthians, no matter what you say about me, no matter what you do with my message, no matter what you do with the gospel, I am following a victorious Christ. He shall have the final say. Matter of fact, Philippians 3 said, at the end of his humiliation and his emptying himself, God said, I'm going to raise you so high from the poverty of Bethlehem, from a criminal's death on a cross, I'm going to raise you so high that everything in heaven, above heaven, and on the earth shall praise you and say, you are Jesus and Lord of lords. You, you will make all men, Hitler, Haman, every atheist, every opponent, all will bow and say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the only triumphant one in all of history. And Paul said, I've been captured by him. I'm in his train. 
I'm on this victorious march with him. No matter. And you know, when you form an army, I think of Patton when he went to the Battle of the Bulge. Here the German forces had us pinned. Our boys were dying. The 101st Airborne had flown in there, and they were pinned down by the Germans. And that wild-eyed Patton said, I, you give me gas, I could go fight. And they did. And they wound up in the Bastogne. And they rescued the 101st Airborne. They got them out. We are fighters. We are conquerors. And I think sometimes you think we've got an anemic Christ, an anemic gospel. But guess what? That general could say, take Omaha Beach. But, 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 but you don't know, Eisenhower, if we take Omaha Beach, we'll lose at least 5,000 men. Do what the commander-in-chief says. We don't win battles without people being killed. And Paul is saying, some wonder, they try to get the picture, is Paul saying he's in the march to be executed? Or is he saying he's in the march sharing the triumph? It's probably a little bit of both because he keeps saying, you know what? I know I've been captured. I was told in Acts 9 that I would suffer greatly for the commander-in-chief, but it does not matter. I am under orders to the general. And if he says suffer in Lystria, get stoned in Derby, and bleed all over Asia, it doesn't matter. I'm under orders. I'm under the commander. I'm under a general that's triumphing. I ask you, have you ever been captured? So you ultimately will be dealt with by this commander, right or wrong, because he's going to deal with his enemies as well as those who bear the incense and give off the aroma of his glory. He will conquer all mankind. All mankind will stand before him. Those that know him will be spared judgment. Those who don't know him will ultimately meet the one they crucified. But he will have the last word. He is a triumphant Christ. From the pit of despair, I didn't find Titus, and I'm troubled, and I'm worried, to all of a sudden the heavenly vision. But let me tell you, let me tell you, I am under the authority of a general who marched through Calvary, marched through the graveyard, marched out, and the only other time this word is used of him is Colossians 2.15 when he said, and as I begin to ascend to the third heaven, guess who met me on the way? The demonic powers of Satan, they came after me. What did they think they were going to do? And he said, they came at me. I don't know what all they did, but you read the passage in Colossians. And he said, I stripped them off like a garment. How dare you try to keep me from making it back to the throne? Because, see, he's taking back a glorified body back. And the demonic powers of Satan attacked him on the way, and he stripped them, and he triumphed over them. This is who we are following. I don't care what the politicians say about the church. I don't care what Rome does about the church. I don't care what history says about the church. I am following the ultimate winner of all history. Christ will triumph. Then he says, 
What is my role under him? What does he want me to do? He leads us, and he uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. I see myself as an incense bearer, and my whole mission in life since I've been captured is to give off an aroma, and the word he uses in it, the knowledge, the knowledge of who Jesus is. That's my whole mission, is to point to him. Don't we have a great general? Don't we have a great Savior? Don't we have a great God? He, he uses me now to spread that knowledge to all that I can. Isn't it wonderful when you find out your mouth can be used for something besides gossip and be used for something besides bad language and vulgarity? Say, no, my mouth has become his spreading tool. I'm spreading the knowledge of my general and my commander and my Lord everywhere I go. I spread the knowledge of Christ. Why do you think we're on the radio? Are we on an ego trip? You got to be kidding Chuck is the guy that puts together the broadcast. David's there, writes the checks. Let me tell you, they believe the gospel. They believe in the Lord we're promoting. We're not on ego trips. We don't have time for that. You can't promote Jesus Christ and yourself at the same time. Make up your mind who you're going to promote. I, there's some people I have to say, even when I come into church, I say, man, I hope I don't have to talk to them. That's a shepherd's heart. <laughs> no, there's certain men I've run into that so far all they talk about is themselves. The most important subject in the world is them. They're surrounded on the north, the east, the west, and the south by themselves. And all you're going to know if you talk to them is more about them. I'm going to ask them, could you tell me anything about Christ? What has Jesus done this week? We used to sing a song, Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and he's just the same as his lovely name. Have you been captured? Are you still your own man? Oh, yuck. The American macho statement while I cough out of Marlboro because I'm dying of cancer. The folly of us thinking we're in charge. Have you ever found anything to promote other than yourself? Paul said, I did. I met a glorious Christ who triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. Triumphed over demonic powers trying to hold him down. I'm following a conquering Christ no matter what you do with me. And if he says, go and be martyred like I will be martyred in 2 Timothy, he's finally decapitated by the Roman Empire. But he said, it doesn't matter. I don't serve Nero. If my general says, go and give him your head, they've got it. They can do anything they want with this body as long as I know I'm in his procession. Are you spreading the knowledge of Christ in any way in your life? Let's say, 
Christian service, testimony. I mean, how are you spreading the knowledge of Christ? I'll make you witnesses. I'll give you a glorious message. It's overwhelming. Then he says, if you become a message bearer, you will become like a pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, and to the other an aroma that brings life. Look at this mixed response. I'm amazed about the three F's of human taste. Food, um, I would say your face, that's a pretty face, and the other's a yuck. Uh, let's say uh, fragrances. Uh, man, I, I've known certain people, don't wear any cologne if you come over. I can't stand it. I break out. You know, isn't it something? I love fragrances. My wife doesn't. She said, it doesn't set well with her. Uh, I like some spice. I couldn't survive on curry. And I've been to India. Let me tell you, they cook with curry. I had goat head gravy with curry in Jamaica, but I survived on bananas. <laughs> I did. We were in the plantation. Carolyn ate the goat head gravy. I ate the bananas. Ain't no goat head going to me. Or what is it, sushi? Man, I believe you ought to be kosher about something. Raw fish ain't going in. Uh-uh. No way. Uh-uh. My tongue has been trained. Potatoes, beans, little Tabasco sauce, and cornbread will do. But people are all picky about... That smells good. I don't like that smell. Okay. Taste this. The other person said, give me seconds. What's going on? Or, she's beautiful. The other guy said, you know, it's like the woman telling the photographer, do me justice. And he said, what you need is mercy. <laughs> you know. So, so faces, you, you don't know what a face you know, I, I, I've, I've seen many people, they'll show their baby, aren't they beautiful? And I, <laughs> and sometimes I don't know which end is being exposed. Say, wait, wait a minute. Because we're weird about our very taste. And here he says, messengers of the gospel will meet with varied responses from their audience. Some will say, what I heard you proclaim, Paul, it's the sweetest thing I've ever heard, that God would give Christ to die for sinners and that by taking him as my Savior, I get to go to heaven. That is sweet to me. And another will hear, if you don't receive Christ, there's eternal separation 
facing you. And Christ is the only way to be saved. Christ is the only one that could do it. And they said, it is obnoxious to me. I can't stand it. I, I go through this because I preach all the time. I'll have people say, oh, a pastor, please get a good sermon next week. I'm bringing my neighbors. <laughs> like I'm not good if I don't bring their neighbors. So. <laughs> but I get it, you know. Please preach a good one. Please, please, please. And, and you know what? You don't know the danger of this calling. You don't know. They sometimes say, I'm never going back to that church. I thought I preached a nice, sweet message. But they said, it stinks. If that's what church is about, I'm not coming back. What, what you mean? I, uh, I said, if you don't receive Christ, uh, you're headed for judgment. Don't be telling me that. That's archaic. That went out. That, that's rubbish. But, 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 no, no, no. I'm not coming back. The guy in the next pew got saved. Why? Paul, I want you to know, and Paul tells his Corinthian audience, some of you I stink. Some of you, what I'm saying is sweet to you. Some of you are perishing, and some of you are being saved. There's nothing like the danger of setting week by week under preaching and not believing. You will soon get where you cannot believe. I have to know. I had a man in this church for probably 15 years, went to our small group studies, was here every Sunday, was one of the nicest guys you could talk to, died without Christ in Paris, and was a faithful attender, never did profess faith, didn't want Christ, I don't buy it all, but was faithful. He'd help deacons on projects, and he would do this. But he died without Christ because he never smelled the aroma of Christ and never found Christ to be dear. He said, it stinks to me. And that phrase, from death to death, it's an idiom that says, it's death from the beginning. The smell is as a, from a corpse. And all you need to do is have a rotting animal, but then take it to a human being. It smells like death to me. You gave me a death sentence. You gave me no hope. Why do you feel that way? You have nothing to inhale Christ. God's never given you faith to see he's God's treasure. And for that very reason, men will spend eternity separated from what they said stinks to begin with. Why be stuck with a God that stinks to you? But us who are being saved, we said, it sounds to me like forgiveness, a warrant to go free. My time has been served. I've been unlocked from the prison of my sins. Another has paid the fine. Another's taken my... There's no sweeter sound in all the world than the gospel. I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by grace. I'm saved through the cross. I'm saved by the blood. Keep telling... Those who know it best love it most. He finally says, and yet with this assignment, I feel totally incompetent. Who is competent? Who's able to do this? You want the job? We'll give you an application. 
You want to spend your life having people judge you? Hey, that stinks. That's good. We don't like you. We do. You know, some guys, I've heard of you and your different vocations. A lot of times I wish I had your vocation. You don't have to lead people. You just produce a product. You don't have to convince a thousand people of everything you decide to do and have them like you. You just do your job, go home, and that's it. I say a PG&E man. I think about Napa Fire, Randy telling me all the men, the hours they were putting in there, and they couldn't get enough men to work. You know, but just think of guys, just go to a job, do it, and go home. My dad said, he always told him, don't make me a foreman. I don't want to manage a bunch of iron workers. They're a rowdy bunch anyway. Just, I'll climb the steel. I'll, I'll erect the metal. I'll do my job, but don't make me in charge of any people because they're hard to manage. People are hard to manage because they've all, they got a special fragrance they like. And you don't smell like what they want you to smell like. So churches are splitting all the time over some stupid taste buds. We want it to be this color. We want it to sound like that. We want this. What do we know? Do you love Christ and his gospel and his good news? Here Paul says, let me tell you some things about me, he says. I admit my task is difficult, and I feel overwhelmed, and I feel incompetent, left to myself. So he admits that. We're going to look at that more next week. But I think of Isaiah 6. Isaiah, I want you to preach. Oh, yippee, sign me up. Woe is unto me. I've seen the Lord. Get somebody else. Now I'm asking who will go for me. And if you read the whole chapter of Isaiah 6, it's one of the most depressing chapters in the Bible because he said, I want you to preach so that their heart will get harder, that their eyes will get blinder, and that they will get further from me than they are now. I want to have you preach a message that will judge them. Jeremiah, I want you to preach. No, no, Lord, I'm but a child. Do not say you are a child. You will speak who I tell you to speak to, and you will say what I want you to say. You do it. And I just dare you to read the 52 chapters of Jeremiah and see if you want to sign up. Constantly being pulled out of danger. Wells. I mean, you remember when he went down, the mud's up to his arms, and an Ethiopian finally found some rags and, and got the prophet. This is God's servant. This man's called. You can't mistreat God's prophets. Yes, you can. Paul said, I feel the inadequacy of bearing a message that turns people off. But I'm assigned to it anyway. And then he says, let me tell you two things about me that I know. Number one, I'm doing this sincerely. And sincere comes from the Latin word sincera, which meant without wax. Because when they did pottery, if there was a crack in it, they were very skilled at taking wax and filling the cracks. And you wouldn't know that it had cracked until you put it up by the sun. And as you looked at it, you could see the cracks and you could see the wax. He said, there's nothing fake about me. I'm not artificial. I am single-minded about this. And then he said, I carry out my mission as before God. I feel commissioned. 
One of the things I grew up with, did God call you to do this? Has God called you to spread the knowledge of his son? And we would do that with preachers. Son, did God call you? I was in a denomination where I had to be an apprentice for uh, over four years. I had to go. They had three stages. You got exhorters. You had to pass the test on that for two years. Then you were moved up to being licensed. And after you were licensed, then they would consider you for ordination. Is he really called? Does he really have it? Or is this just a passing fever? Paul said, I preach as before one audience. I preach before the living God. There is only one audience ultimately, isn't there? It's what he says. If he says, welcome, good and faithful servant, I don't think he's going to lie to you. If you haven't been good and if you haven't been faithful, he might just say, hmm, the cross got you in. But it wasn't your service. It wasn't your service. A lot of us, he's going to burn up half of what we invested in. It's wood, hay, and stubble. He says, one thing I don't do, I don't adulterate the Word of God. And the translation here, I'm not a peddler of the Word. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the Word of God for profit. It's a good translation. The word literally was used to pouring water in wine because it was a merchant term, and you want to make a better profit. So let's say you've got a, let's take it, a quart of wine. Let's add a quart of water. Now we've diluted it for sure, but we can sell more of it. We can make more money off of it. And it meant uh, putting the best apples on the top and the rotting apples at the bottom. It was a merchandise term. And he said, we're not marketing the Word of God. It's not for sale. I preached in a place, I cannot tell you where, where they were telling me about the previous speaker. For a weekend, they gave him $100,000, and they kept him in a five-star hotel, of which the pastor said he griped about his accommodations. We had to move him because that wasn't nice enough. We still gave him $100,000. His empire eventually crumbled. You see, false teachers, there's two things that they're attracted to, money and women. Read Second Peter and read Jew. The false teachers, their eyes are full of adultery. They've always got a vulgar mind going on. And they love money. They'll be where the money is. Sorry, that's just the way it is. I used to always pray, God, when I was a young preacher boy, 16 years old, I said, Lord, could you keep me in three area, areas? Uh, motive, why do I wonder? I'm just a kid. Do you like being up in front? Do you like to just hear yourself talk? Or has God really sent you? Two, your morals. I'm 16. The biggest battle was could I keep my pants in? It wasn't talking in tongues. I grew up with tongue talkers. It was being moral. Did you get enough Holy Spirit to have self-control? And then I said, Lord, money. 
I have to say, I heard preachers always talking about money. And, you know, I have to say, I back off. I have to change my estimation. I used to think, oh, they're in, the, in for the money. It, that really wasn't true. Most of them were so broke, they had money on their mind all the time. And you know what? If you don't have much food, you're going to think about food all the time. They were just poor preachers. Made five to $8,000 a year. You talk a lot about money, too, if you had three kids and you were making a house payment and you got $8,000 a year. Pay ministers of the gospel as well as you can. It would be the best investment you can make. But the minister for himself must not be for sale. See, that's, that's uh, I used to hear Howard Hendricks, he'd often say, I would teach at Dallas Seminary for nothing. But don't tell Dr. Walbert. He'll try to arrange it. <laughs> and this is what Paul is saying. I'm not for sale. Matter of fact, Corinthians, I said a minister ought to be paid in 1 Corinthians 9. But when I'm with you, I don't want one cent. I will not take an offering from the Corinthians. I will work and make tents and work with leather, and the church at Philippi will send me an offering. But keep your money, you Corinthians, because you're calling me a crooked preacher. He wouldn't take a dime. Then they used it against him. It's an amazing thing he's saying. In all of it, I am in the triumph of Christ. I'm dedicated to spreading the knowledge of him as incense goes up. I know that to some I stink, to others my message smells good. And in the midst of all of it, I feel overwhelmed by inadequacy. Yet all I can say is I'm sincere about it. I'm doing what I'm doing as before the living God and count on this. I am no merchant of the Word of God. I will tell you the truth, and I will not water down the Bible. Whatever it says, we say that was his commitment. I have to say, uh, as you hear the word, remember this. The sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. A.T. Robertson, the famous Greek teacher from Louisville Southern Seminary, he used to say, Christian ministry is a dangerous vocation because many times you preach sermons that prepare people for hell. Because as they learn to reject your voice and reject your message, they only confirm their destiny to hell. So you never know today. I don't know what kind of aroma is going out to your ears and your spiritual senses. I've used it before, but I've always been shaken by it. I heard him tell the story. When Criswell, who stayed at First Baptist Church for 45 or 46 years, I think he was 80, he was about 86 when he retired. Took that church coming from Chickasha, Oklahoma, a little cowboy town out there in the panhandle. And to be called uptown to Dallas was the biggest promo you can get. But he was a, he was a screamer. He, he was a weeper. He's too emotional. George Truett had been a brilliant lecturer, a brilliant elocutionist. He was there for 45 years, George Truett, an orator par excellence, not Criswell, 
He cried. He begged. He got loud. Didn't fit an uptown crowd. Had plenty of critics. Just stayed 46 years. And he tells the story that I think it was his 25th or his 30th anniversary. The church put on a big bass uh, to celebrate his tenure and, and his long pastorate. The churches grew, boomed, and it was amazing. He had women that uh, donated millions of dollars. You, if you ever were in Dallas, you ought to go to First Baptist Church and see the buildings and the layout. It's, it's incredible. But he said, you know, at that 30th anniversary, I had a Texan come up to me that lived in Dallas, and he came up to me, and he said, Wally, Wally Amos, Wally. He didn't use any holy doctor. Hey, Wally, congratulations. You've been here for 30 years. He said, you know what? When I was a law student in Dallas, I used to come on Sunday nights and hear you preach. And he said, there were some nights I thought you were going to get me saved. You were so powerful in those days. But he said, you know what? I could sit and hear you all day now, and you can't get to me. You, you, you don't bother me anymore. I learned to say no long enough that I can go to church. I'll listen to the music, but I sure won't be taken in by the message. You see, the sun had hardened him. He developed a hard heart so that I just go hear a man. I want to see if he's got any oratorical ability. used to have a woman come from Cal Berkeley in the speech department at Holy Ghost Hall. She came and wrote down my method of preaching. She was desperate for speakers, but she did it and became a friend. Never, never a believer, but became a kind critic. You know, I know she did this. You do that. And it, I said, I'd ask her, I said, after you get through critiquing me, did you hear the message? Not really. She's too busy critiquing my style to ever hear the message. And I say to you, are you ice or clay? Will you melt under the word or will you get harder every time you hear us? Had a man in this church for 15 years at least. I may be wrong on that, but it was at least 10 or 15 years. He went to our home Bible studies. He attended Sunday services. He joined in with our deacons when they worked on physical projects. He was there. He was there. He said, Gary, when did you receive Christ? I have not. When are you? I, I don't think I will. I'm, I'm not interested. But this church has been good to my kids, and I'm willing to do whatever I can. Gary, when will you receive it? He died without Christ. He died without Christ. But I want to say to you, I don't care. Larry was telling me that all of America, church attendance has gone down 2 to 5% across the country, and that the nation is in the throes of a lead ceiling of liberalism, and we're seeing that our kids and our grandchildren don't want our faith. They found 
They've got too many voices coming to them. The average age, Scott and I were hearing a lecture the other night from options for women. The average age of getting your iPhone is age nine. And from age nine on, they're being kidnapped. Their morals, their values. And I ask, who is going to help us spread the knowledge of the aroma of Christ? Father, only you can make your gospel effectual. Only you can make the Word of God penetrate hearts. If there's any here that is becoming hard, got me figured out, got the style figured out, but they've never got Jesus figured out. It's Jesus that is the issue. Bow voluntarily to the general and the conqueror of all history. Bow, bow, receive him, and he'll employ you to spread the knowledge of him. Reject him, and you'll be executed. You can't play with Jesus. You can't be neutral about him. You either got faith or unbelief, and there's no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground. You're either for him or against him. Speak to a heart that is weighing, what do I do with this one called Christ, Jesus? What do I do with him? I pray, Father, keep us from being discouraged as we try to evangelize and keep telling of the sweet aroma of Christ in a culture that doesn't find him pleasing. Do not find him appealing because he will make a difference out of them. He'll make a difference out of where they spend their money, where they spend their time, what they do with their body. He will make a difference. And all oh, they need eternal life. They need to take a drink of him who alone can quench the thirst of our soul. Please, Father, if there's anyone here that has said, I've come to this place. This message is sweet to me. I want Christ. I want Christ. God, keep me from being hard. Keep me from saying no. If I've heard him knock once, I'm not guaranteed he'll ever knock again. Open the door. Come. Come. Come by faith. Receive the gift of eternal life, which is Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As usual, I and other pastors will be in the front. If you're here, if you have any questions, if God's dealing with your heart, we got time for you. I'll be right out down here. God bless you.